You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Crippled Content Creations and Podcast Jukebox present Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, Andrew Gerza, your sexy, seated, and scintillating host, and I'm here to do all the things about sex and disability with you today. So get comfy, cozy, and crippled, whatever that means for you, and let's get this show started. So lately I've been listening back to some old episodes of the show just to try to find different angles on what I can talk about and the things we can discuss and how I can make some of the topics we've talked about fresh again. And I realized that if you go way back to episode number 10 of the show called Disabled Well Dating or Disabled in Disability or something about it wasn't Disabled in Disability. It was like Disabled While Dating or Dating While Disabled or something like that. In episode 10, I listened to it the other day, and I realized two things. The first 10 episodes of this show were super rough, and I sound like I have no idea what I'm doing. I still kind of don't, P.S., but I realized that they were not only super rough, and the audio quality was super crappy, thanks again for the new awesome mic that I'm recording this on, um, but also that... There was a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't talk about in the, in the first episode on dating, you know, in the series. And so I'm kind of glad that I, that I didn't talk about a lot of stuff because it gave me material to bring back for an episode like this. And I realized through all of those episodes that, I, that we've done, I haven't really talked about disability and the second date or the second date and disability, however you want to call it, because... Well, the truth is that I don't go on a lot of second dates. If you've been listening to this show for a while now, you've probably heard me talk about how I go on dates here and there, and how I have one or two light smatterings of dates, but nothing too consistent. Um, Many of the dates I go on are first and last dates with that person, and I never tend to see them again. Kind of like the time I went out for burgers with with a gentleman, and we had you know, burgers and a laugh, and then we went back to my place to have sex, and then we had some 
or I had sex. It wasn't the greatest for either of us. But then four days later, he texts me to say that he doesn't think we can see each other again because I'm not independent enough in bed. And I reminded him of his best friend who died in a car accident. So <laughs> that was super blurg. Um, or like the time I went on a date with a guy who told me that he knew I liked him. I had to like him because what other options did I have? Yep, he really did say that. That's the real thing he really said. But anyway, I digress. The second date for a disabled person is like the elusive unicorn of dating and intimacy. It's really like, like, it's really something kind of magical because it literally never happens. I've heard from so many disabled people who, who have said to me, I've never been on a second date. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that feels like. We rarely get to have a second date. We rarely even get to have a first one. We're lucky enough to have a full first date. If your date doesn't turn around and run away in fear because you're disabled. Yeah, that's also something that happened to me too. I've had lovers literally turn on a heel and walk away when they realized how disabled I was. And you know what? I would love a second date because it would mean that I could let my guard down a little bit and I would actually get to know the person and let them get to know me and my quirks, quirks, queerness, and crippledness just a little more. The first time a guy I was getting naked with came back after our first time together was back in my college days. It was this guy that I was seeing kind of like we were messing around a little bit and the first time he came back to see me for a second like hangout I remember I asked him after we fucked around one day, we were naked in bed after sex, and I said, you know, what, why are you back here? And he said, why not? I want to get to know you. And I remember looking at him blankly in the face being like, what? I, what does that mean? I've never heard those words before. Those words have never come out of someone's mouth. They want it, You want to stick around? Why? And I was completely confused. Of course, I found out later that we were just fuck buddies and that didn't really count as a quote, date, but it was nice for like a hot second to have someone genuinely, genuinely want to come back to, to see me. So on this episode, I want to look at some of the popular things that are expected to happen on a second date and make sure that the experience of disability was included in these conversations because as we all too well know, disability is largely absent from any any popular culture dating stuff, and I want to do my best to change that. Okay, so a lot of the blogs remind us continually over and over again that the second date is when you really, really get to know someone better, and you can be, quote, a little more yourself. <laughs> I giggle at this advice because if you're rolling up in a wheelchair or walking in with a cane or rolling in on a rollator or a different mobility device, it's kind of hard to not be yourself right off the bat. But I want to apply some of these a little more yourself principles to the second date and make sure that disability is, is represented here. So that's what we're going to do and so let's start. So maybe on the first date you were with somebody who you really liked and they were kind of cool and you liked them but you were shy and you were awkward but you were maybe more shy and awkward than say the average non-disabled person because you were worried about whatever potentially ableist or 
disability snafu might happen, so you didn't end up talking a lot. This has happened to me on first dates a lot, where I'm literally just super quiet, waiting for the non-disabled person to, like, lead the conversation, because I don't want to look like I... I don't want to look... And I know this is an ableist term as I say it. I don't want to look stupid in front of them. I don't want to say something that is that I'm not well-versed on. I don't want to look like... I, I don't want to look... And again, this is what I'm going to say is super ableist. I don't want them to think I have an intellectual disability too, which is ridiculous and totally disabling. And It's a disability hierarchy, and I get that, but that's how I feel sometimes. So sometimes when I'm out with an able-bodied person on a first date, I don't talk a lot. So maybe on date number two... This is your chance as a sexy disabled person to change that entirely. Maybe on date two, you speak up a little more. You're more verbose and chatty as a disabled person. You're more playful and fun. You're more honest and real about disability stuff. And we'll get to that in a minute. But maybe this is a chance for you to speak up more and be, be really truly more of your disabled self. Don't let the able-bodied person lead the conversation simply because they're able-bodied. Take some charge and realize you have important things to say as a disabled person. Sure, your experiences and the way you experience the world may be different than them, and your understanding of certain topics may be completely skewed because of disability, and that's fine. But it's important that they hear your voice, and it's important that you speak up for yourself in on this second date because you want them to know that you're a badass disabled awesome person and your voice is one way you can do that also as a throwback to our episode on first date foods and disability where i highlight that many disabled people out of fear or discomfort choose not to eat on the first date because they fear that they'll have to ask for help well Maybe the second date is the date where you test out that theory of whether or not you want someone to help you eat and whether or not this person is actually comfortable in doing that. Maybe day two is the time where you're like, hey, want to shove that burger in my mouth? Be super fun. Hey, let's try. Give it a shot. Maybe that's, maybe, maybe that's how you do it. Maybe sexy feeding time could be just the way to get comfortable with somebody and have them be comfortable with you. Also, I think the next time I have a boy over, I'm definitely going to refer to any to any feeding stuff that we do together as, quote, sexy feeding time. And I feel like every disabled person should just change dating to, hey, want to go on a sexy feeding time and see what happens. I, I, my name's Andrew Gerza and I support this change. One of the things I get a lot in my inbox from people or on social media or questions I have when I'm like, what, what kind of topics do you want to hear? People with non-visible disabilities and invisible disabilities have asked me, how do I disclose my invisible disability on a date? How do I do that? And I don't live with predominantly invisible disabilities, so I don't want to say that I'm an expert in this field. Of course I'm not. But I think maybe the second date is where you disclose that. Maybe on the first date you were trying to hide things and didn't really know how to disclose this because again people assume wrongly that because you don't look disabled you're not going through stuff so maybe on day two is where you say like hey so I super like you John and I want to see you again maybe we could talk about how I have IBS or how I have EDS or how I have this thing can we talk about that and I want I want to share this with you because you're really cool and I feel like you I want to 
I want to have you around some more, and this is something that I want to let you know about, maybe. So maybe day two is where you do that. I mean, according to the plethora of pretty white cis girls named Bethany who write these blogs for these outlets about what to do on a second date, this is the date, the second date is where you are supposed to, quote, answer all questions as honestly as possible. So maybe this is the one where you have at it. You just let things fly. You lay it out. You're like, I have EDS. I have IBS. I have CP. I have MS. I have anxiety. I have all these little... Send the litany of all the things out there so that this person knows entirely what they're getting into. Why not? You're being honest, and that's important, right? Apparently, I find it so funny how when we talk about honesty and dating, um, when it comes to really important things you want to share with somebody like disability or illness, all of a sudden it's like, oh, that was too honest. You kind of threw that out there way too fast. And it's like, why? Why? How, how is me disclosing my disability too fast a problem? Shouldn't I be upfront? And so I, I, I just think that like it's funny how honesty is like tempered with certain things. Like you should only be honest about certain things. But when it comes to disability not so much I don't think so be fucking honest and lay that out there and see what happens again all of this advice should be you should remember that I've never been on a second date really a proper second date so I don't really know what I'm talking about I'm just suggesting things from what I'm seeing here if anybody wants to take me on a second date hell take me on the first two at once if anyone wants to, to take me on a second date I am Hanging out, and I'm ready to do that with you. A lot of the bloggers for second date advice said the second date is also the perfect time to bring up your political affiliations and leanings. So a lot of the stuff I said was like, hey, if you're, you know, a Democrat, this is where you say it. If you're a Republican, ew, this is where you say it. If you, you know, support the death penalty, this is where you tell them. If you, but don't support the death penalty because it's really, not, it doesn't do anything. But what I'm saying is if you're super political, if you're like a CNN junkie, this is where you would say it. And I thought to bring disability into this part of the discussion, this is the time where you might want to bring up ableism. You know, the ism that no one ever talks about, that one. This is the time where you might want to bring that up. And you might want to kind of kind of lay out for people what ableism is and what it means and what the definition is. And... This is important because it's just something we don't talk about enough. And I was going to do a whole episode on how to bring up ableism in the, in, in the dating world, but this, this, this will do. This is better. You should definitely bring up ableism on the second date. You should bring up what it is. You should define it. You should talk about it because maybe your date did something ableist on the first date that they didn't realize. Maybe they accidentally rested their hand on your mobility device or offered to push you somewhere. Maybe they spend five minutes highlighting why plastic straws are killing the turtles. Ugh. I, I know we love the turtles, but I don't care about them more than I do about my ability to drink, okay? So calm down, John. Calm down. And maybe you noticed this on the first date, but you didn't want to say anything because you wanted to be extra polite and extra kind and extra... And extra 
attentive to their comfort around your disability. You know, the typical things that that disabled people do when they're confronted with an, when an able-bodied date, that kind of stuff, where you make sure that the able-bodied person is super comfortable all the time and you're uncomfortable the whole time, you know, that thing, that thing. So, well, now would be your time to give them a proper, kind education on ableism. I say kind because sometimes when we, when we as a disabled community talk about ableism, we get super heated and super annoyed and super angry about it. So it's time to talk about ableist things with kindness and remember that they don't know and remember that you can, can word it to them like this. You can say, look, on the first date, this or this might happen and, or this and this happened and that felt weird and you maybe felt it was important to share that with them because you wanted to see them again and by telling them they were being ableist, you actually gave a shit about them and it showed that you cared. People need to hear that kindly pointing out ableism to them and saying that I'm telling you because I give a shit about you and I think you're super cute and I want you to get all up in this cripple, that's important and that's an act of care. Now, if your date responds to this by being heavily offended or upset, you can also just say, all right, thanks, I'm going to end, I'm gonna end the date now. The date can totally also be over and that's fine too. But you can explain to them the importance of ableism and why you think it should be brought up on dates. A lot of the stuff I was reading about on second date said that on the first date you should arrive separately and you should do that. But on date two, you should go somewhere together and actually go there together. Like, like hey, want to go to the movies and walk to the movies together? Whenever I've gone on dates, I've always arrived early and first. And if I really think about why, I've done that because I was probably nervous and thinking if I arrived first, I can figure out all my disability needs before my potential date gets there. And so I would always arrive super early and I would always get a table right away and I'd always figure out all my access points right away but I would never let my non-disabled date see that because I was like no 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 they can't see that part of things I have to that's my stuff I can't show them that I have to present a put together front and so I was always concerned about going somewhere with an able-bodied date because I was like they, they have to see this it's too scary no no so maybe on date two and if any of you are listening and you've had that experience where you show up first to ensure your access needs are met first out of fear, email me at disabilityafterdark and tell me about disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and tell me about these stories. Let's do a Minnesota about that. Have you arrived first before your non-disabled date has arrived and tried to scope out disability needs? Is that a thing that happens or is it just me? Let me know. Um, so yeah, on a second date... Go together and let them see you get an accessible table and let them see you try to figure out the, the most successful bathroom in the place and let them see you do all that stuff. It'll give them a whole different perspective, maybe. If I ever get a second date with someone, I would love to introduce them to the perils of paratransit. Non-disabled people are so privileged and so used to just getting up and going when they want to whether it be on a regular bus or whether it be on in a car or whether they have a motorcycle or a pedal bike. they just can, they, I just see them get up and go all the time. And I'm like, what is that like to just go? And I think if you're going to go 
together one time, you should say to your date, hey, so you want to go together? Great, I booked a bus, and I put you on the bus as my companion or my friend, and come with me, I want to show you something. You know, maybe have them come over when you're booking the ride with them on there as a companion to see how long you have to sit on the phone and wait for the paratransit people to actually get a hold of you so you can book your ride. You know, call them up a week in advance and say, hey, can you sit with me here while I book this ride on the phone? Can you chat with me and I wanted to show you how long it takes? And then have them come over while you're waiting for the bus and have them sit with you for the hours that the bus is late or the... You know, the driver that's a super ableist fuckwad or all the things that we have to deal with when we're trying to access paratransit to just go around. It might be a vital, vital, eye-opening thing. Or have them go with you on a regular bus that's supposedly wheelchair accessible and watch you try to sit in and try to get into that tiny, tiny wheelchair spot that nobody with, an, with the power chair can actually fit into. Have them watch that and be like, oh, this is what Andrew, Andrew or... X person goes through trying to navigate this. This is why they don't go out so much, and this is why traveling for them is so hard. It might open their eyes to a lot of things. I did see something that I really liked in the dating stuff where it says that you could make it a multi-part date. Now, I feel like this could be both awesome in terms of disability energy levels because if you have low energy due to chronic illness or disability you can break up the date into different dates and times and I suppose if you wanted to you could call it part of date two so you could do part of it on Friday and then if you're tired you could do part of it on Saturday and hell you could even do part of it on Sunday and it could still all be part of the one date and so then if you could it, it would give you a chance to recharge if you needed it without the pressure of like, oh, the next date's the third date, the next date's the big one. Oh goodness, it could still all be part of one date. But I think the bloggers that I'm reading were trying to say like, you should go to different areas all in one time frame, which when you're disabled and you're a wheelchair user or you have invisible disabilities, it can be that can be super tiring and super hard to navigate. To trying to do multiple things in one date. So many second date blogs are like, this time do something really creative. And it's like, oh, shit. Like, how how can you be creative? Like, going to one bar sometimes is enough. How are you going to get from A to B to C to D and then back to A? It can be really, it, it just, even just saying that sounds tiring. How are you going to do all that? So I think breaking the second date up into two or three days and still calling it the second date might alleviate the pressure of like, oh, no, the third date's coming, and also sh will show the other person that, like, these are my chronic illness needs, here's what my reality is a little bit, but we're still going on that one big date. It could be fun. You could make it a game. I don't know. It's an option. Second date etiquette also says you should be able to wear something a little more relaxed, like a t-shirt, and something a little less formal. Now, y'all know that I don't do formal wear at all because... My jam is super comfy, super comfy, crippled, or bust. So I don't do formal. I don't do super fancy. I do gimp track pants, and that's my jam. And I don't care what anybody says, and I'm super comfortable that way. And yeah. Um, <laughs> but this time on date two, to bring, again, to bring disability back to the discussion, you might want to wear something that, sh that 
Speaks to the fact that you're a disabled person. I'm thinking you could wear one of Annie Eleni's great shirts that says, the future is accessible. I'm thinking you could wear, I don't know, a disabled pe people are hot shirt, which you can buy conveniently at store.podcastjukebox.org. You could also maybe whip out some of your accessible clothing that is easier for you. So like if you're wearing clothing that is easier to take on or off with like buttons or straps or things, you could wear that this time rather than trying to dress up into things that aren't actually accessible for you to try to make to try to make an impression that you look quote unquote normal. Wear something on the second date that allows you to feel more at home in your disabled body. So that the person you're going on a date with realizes that they're going on a date with a badass, amazing disabled person who's proud of their dis disability identity and your clothing on date two is a way to do that because clothing on date one is, oh my God, this is going to be full of ableism. I'm scared as shit. Clothing on date two, if we're lucky enough to get a date, a date two or if, let's scratch that, if the able-bodied person that we like is lucky enough for us to respond to their request for a date, see, yeah, there it is. I brought it back. Um, if the able-bodied person is lucky enough to have us for date two, we have the right to feel sexy and comfortable in our disabled bodies, and clothing can be a way to accentuate that. One of the narratives that I saw a lot that really, really bugs me about the second date story and this ideal second date, again, written by blonde, cis, able-bodied white girls named Bethany, said that there's this idea that that the second date is the real date. The second date is the one where all the real stuff happens. And I know that they're trying to say that basically if the first date's a bust, don't worry about it. But I feel like when we start equating the second date with the real date, that means all the pressure of the first date and all the discomfort you went through and all the anxiety you put yourself through was for naught. No, no, no. The first date is the first date. And the second date is the second date. Let's not pretend like one has to be more real than the other. All the pressure that we go through as disabled people activating our awesomeness on the first date, only to be told that, haha, actually the second date's the real one, best of luck, bye! No, that's way too much pressure. Way too much pressure. So, the second date is the second one, and don't put more pressure on yourself, and don't allow more ableism to come in there, just because, quote, the second date's the real one. I don't believe that. The second date is the second date, the end. Another big one that I noticed here in, in all the blogs that, again, had no relation to disability is remember to relax. And I thought that was important about when it came to disability because on the first date, if something happens, like you have a spasm and, throw, you, and you throw your dinner plate across the room or, like, you your leg bag comes off or you run into them by accident or something like that happens. <laughs> Actually, on the second date with a guy that I was on once... With that, with that guy in my college days that came back. On our second date, I almost killed him. And I didn't, I don't think I've told this story. On our second date, we were making out and he touched my joystick with his hand or something during the makeout and he, he, he catapulted the chair, my wheelchair, up against my drywall and there was, there was a huge, a huge hole of my feet in the wall for like a good four months. So... 
Oh, and I and that and that was day two, and that was super awkward, and we ended up fucking around for a few more months then. But uh, stuff can happen. So on the second date, relax. And if you run into him with your wheelchair on date two, it's totally fine because he gets it now. He knows you're disabled. It's no big deal. This next tip, I don't have an answer for, but I, but I was seeing it when I was looking at the blogs. They were like, do make sure on day two, you do, you don't just sit and have coffee, you have physical activity. And I don't have an answer for that, except to be like, fuck you, you ableist blogs. What if you can't engage in physical activity? What do you do then? And why is there, why is there a necessity to be active, quote unquote active, on day two? I just feel like, I wanted to bring that up and bitch about that a little bit because it just it 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 shows that these blogs are are generated for non-disabled people always, and so it's my job as your number one queer cripple to make sure that I call them out and bring disability in there. On day two, you do not have to be physically active. That's okay if you're not. It's all right. Sorry, I get a little bit I get a little bit annoyed about that stuff, but I just wanted to put that out there. One of the tips that I actually agree with, though, on these things is, like, maybe it says a lot on the second date. Maybe don't talk about your exes. In this case, because so many of us haven't gone on second dates, if you're, if you, again, if the person that you're with is lucky enough to have you grace them with your presence, perhaps don't bring up all the other ableist douchebags you encounter on a daily basis. I've done that on dates, and it doesn't go well, so maybe... Hold off on all the ableist things that have happened to you right away, just so that it doesn't it doesn't deter them. Bring up ableism, obviously, but don't share every horrible dating story you get on you've been on with an ableist because it might put a lot of pressure on them to mind their p's and q's and not relax as much. And maybe so, and it's also really exhausting to talk about how every other person you've been on a date with could be an ableist. So maybe avoid talking about all the ableists you deal with every day. Maybe just. Keep it to one or two stories, but not every single one. They say that on date two is where you can start letting your sense of humor show and all those weird quirks and quirks you have show. So, maybe share some of the funny disability stories that they don't know about you yet. All the times when, you know, funny things happen. Share that stuff and see how they react and see and kind of see if they are comfortable with that or if they're squirming or if it's weird for them. See how they respond to your disability stories about your weird attendance or your disability stories about uh, locking the dude out of your dorm room when you're trying to have sex or your disability stories about your pee bag breaking on the bus or all that stuff. See how they react to that and show them that being disabled is uniquely funny and they should join you on that journey for date number three. I guess my big takeaway for the elusive second disabled date is to be more disabled. Go harder at being disabled. Be more crippled, more queer, more awesome, more all the things you are as a disabled person, more spastic, more invisibly disabled, whatever it is, more chronically ill. Be all those things and let the cards fall where they may and don't give a shit about what someone else thinks. Don't hide that. Don't hide yourself anymore. Date one, you're allowed to, to do that a little bit, but my advice for date two, again, speaking as somebody who's never really been on a proper second date, hello boys, I'm waiting, but be more yourself. Be more disabled, more queer, more crippled. 
That's all I got for this one. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. Bye! Alright, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. My name is, of course, Andrew Gerza, and thank you so much for listening and helping the show go. I really appreciate that you all listen and that you come back every week, and I love doing it, and I love shining a bright light on these topics, so thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com where you'll find my writings, some cool videos I've been in, and you'll see where I've been talking, where I've been doing talks, and if you want to hire me to talk, you can do so there as well. If you want to follow me on the social media, you can put in all my handles on Insta, Twitter, and Facebook at TheAndrewGerza. If you want to follow the podcast specifically, you can follow us on Twitter at DisAftDarkPod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DisabilityAfterDark. This show is a completely independent production. I literally record the show here in my bedroom in Toronto, and that's awesome. So if you want to support this fully independent program, you can head over to Patreon.com slash disability after dark and you can pledge one dollar a month to get the show early and get really cool perks like that and i i will give you a shout out on the air and thank you for your support it would be super awesome if you could also leave a five-star review on itunes or wherever you download your podcast so that this show all about sexuality and disability something we don't talk about enough can get more traction and more people can hear about the show Lastly, if you want to be a part of Disability After Dark, you can submit your suggestions, story ideas, or your minisodes to our email inbox, disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next time, right here on the program Shining a Bright Light on Sex and Disability, Disability After Dark. New episodes of Disability After Dark will be available every Thursday on your favorite podcast app. Also available to Patreon subscribers one day early on every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Sugiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2019.